Hello, and welcome to Mental Health Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Lang, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Burton. In this podcast, we will talk about all things mental health. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey everyone, welcome back. Liz Lang here with Dr. Mark Burton, and this week we're going to continue talking about suicide, and originally we were going to talk about just suicide among veterans, but as I was writing an outline for our show, it occurred to me that the things that we're going to be talking about often coincide with police officers. So we thought that we would change things up a little bit and talk about suicide among veterans and police officers. And I want to start by thanking all of the men and women who serve our country in any capacity. I know that military stems well beyond armed forces. There are many, many branches of the military that you can serve in. And I really appreciate those that do because it's a big job and it's an important job and it all ties around the defense of our country and that's certainly very important. And I also want to thank police officers who do risk their lives protecting our communities and that is certainly not an easy job and some days are harder than other days with that job I would definitely imagine. So let's talk about to start off with PTSD It's an important factor. Yes. And I would imagine that PTSD is the start of what would lead someone down the road to suicidal ideology in that they've been through probably horrendous, traumatic things over either in a war zone or even police officers who, I mean, because they see the worst of our society. We'll talk a little bit. What is PTSD? There was some work done here at the University of Utah at the National Center for Veterans Studies. And what they found is that as far as risk factors mm-hmm. for suicide, the veterans have the same risk factors as in the general population. But it's important to understand they have more of the PTSD. So what that means is in the general population, then PTSD is certainly going to be a risk factor. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't occur as often in the general population okay. as it's going to occur in the veteran population. Now, I don't have any statistics on the police. In fact, I've not heard if there are higher rates of suicide within the police force, but they certainly, Mm -hmm. when I go over these characteristics of PTSD, it's going to make sense. Although I think there's maybe the right, I don't know if this is the right term or not, but a difference in quality. It's going to be a lot more severe for these experiences are going to be a lot more severe for the people in uniform in the service in the army. And in fact, if you looked at all branches of service, almost half of the suicides occur in the army rather than say the air force or the Navy or the Marine. And I'm guessing that's because army is the branch of the military who does the most armed defense on the ground. See, they're on the ground. ground. They're the ones who have seen it. So let's just go over PTSD in general. And actually the, I think I've said this before, it was the veterans administration and the VA hospitals Mm -hmm. that really got this ball rolling as far as PTSD. And I think they're the ones who coined the term because, and I believe I think my history is correct that it really came out of either the Korean war Korean conflict or the Vietnam War. And so you hear PTSD, and the way we think of PTSD now is more of a single event. 
with mm-hmm. these. And so what you might see is a small C in front of the PTSD. Okay. And that just signifies complex PTSD. Really what that means is there are multiple events, mm-hmm. uh, multiple experiences. And that's really going to fit really for veterans as well as police officers. And, you know, certainly some civilians have that complex PTSD as well. Absolutely. Yes. And we should clarify that right now. Anyone can suffer from PTSD. There are differing levels of severity. And we have an episode specifically on post-traumatic stress disorder that you can go back and, and look up if you want more general information. So what we're talking about today is specifically... PTSD among armed forces members and police officers. And I also want to acknowledge that the jobs are different. They come with their own different struggles. I wouldn't want to say that, you know, a police officer would have the exact same struggles as someone who has served time in the war. I understand that they're different categories, but there's similarities in what they go through as far as seeing death and mm-hmm. being around death a lot in this capacity puts you at higher risk for suicidal ideation. And so that's really what we want to focus on today. Right. And so I know I said this in our episode about PTSD, that it's one of those terms, it's kind of gone into what you call popular Mm -hmm. psychology, in that people throw it around a lot. And so they may, you know, maybe they had a bad day at work, or they've had a run in with their boss. And they say, Oh, I've got PTSD from this encounter. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not an accurate use of the term. As I'll point out here. So here are some of the things that, you know, can contribute to PTSD. These are just reading these is kind of hard. Seeing dead bodies, being Mm -hmm. shot at, being attacked or ambushed, Mm -hmm. receiving rocket or mortar fire, and knowing someone who is killed or seriously injured. So it can be, say you have a friend or a comrade who has been attacked or killed, that you're right there, then that also qualifies as PTSD. And often the way we think of it, though, is your life feels like it's in danger. So yeah. you brought up the idea of police officers. And a lot of these things, I think, except for the receiving rocket or mortar fire, that probably yeah. is very uncommon. Mm-hmm. I think those other four would be experienced. By a lot of police officers. I think they see a fair number of dead bodies. They're shot at, certainly. Yeah. And there's always the fear of being shot at, the fear of being attacked and ambushed, uh, or knowing a colleague or mm-hmm. a fellow police officer who has been killed or seriously injured. So I have a friend who was a probation officer, and I don't know, years ago, I don't know how many years ago, there was an issue of a prisoner was up at the university hospital. Mm-hmm. He was with a police officer and he grabbed his gun. Somehow he got a hold of oh, the gun no. and kill, shot and killed him. And so, you know, knowing this person who had this in their line of duty, prisoner got the gun and shot him. So that certainly qualifies as PTSD. Yeah. So it's those events and they're serious events. And if you think about the general population compared to a veteran, I mean, it's really hard to even compare that because, you know, having over, I think it's 52% of the suicides are from the army. And you can imagine they're the ones that are seeing these things. So it's very serious and it's a real thing. And it wasn't, it's fairly recent. I think it was around 1958 that people started thinking about, we need to figure out what's going on. And so I think in the past, it's been called shell shock. Mm-hmm. possibly, when we didn't have a better term for it. Yeah. But now we know that, you know, whenever there's war, there's going to be PTSD. 
So what are the symptoms of PTSD? Those are the things that tend to cause PTSD. But what are the symptoms of PTSD? So here they are. Feeling upset by things that remind you of what happened. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, it's kind of a classic thing that you see in movies often where the veteran comes home, he's at a 4th of July celebration, all of a sudden the fireworks go off. Now, you might almost think that's cliche, but that's really, that's real. It is. Because that's that's a trigger Mm -hmm. that says, okay, you know, I'm in mortar fire again. So a trigger like that, feeling upset by things that remind you of that. It could be, it could be a car backfiring. Mm Mm-hmm. It could be as simple as that. Having nightmares, vivid memories, or flashbacks of the event or events Mm -hmm. that make you feel like it's happening all over again. Feeling emotionally cut off from others. Feeling numb or losing interest in things you used to care about. Feeling constantly on guard. That's really kind of a classic symptom of PTSD. I call it being hypervigilant. It's really when you have someone in your office who has uh, PTSD and you, you know, you haven't made that diagnosis yet. Often being, I call it hypervigilant or constantly on guard really stands out. The same friend that I mentioned who has PTSD, mm-hmm. when she would go into a restaurant, she always positioned herself with her back against the wall so she could see the exit. Everything. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Constantly on guard. Mm-hmm. Feeling irritated or having angry outbursts, having difficulty sleeping. Again, disrupted sleep. We've talked mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Trouble concentrating. Whenever you have any emotional issues, often the ability to focus or attend is one of the first things that uh, goes. Being jumpy or easily startled. So here's what happens when you have those symptoms. You know, it can cause changes in your behavior. Mm-hmm. And so one of the, some of the changes might be you would avoid places that you think might remind you of what happened or, Mm -hmm. you know, fear, oh, I'm going to be reminded. So you avoid those places. Here's a big problem in the vet population. Consistently drink or use drugs to numb your feelings. So essentially you're self-medicating. Consider harming yourself or others. That's pretty common as well. Mm -hmm. And this is a little bit healthier, maybe. Start working all the time to occupy your mind. And I certainly see Mm -hmm. that in civilians that have PTSD that I treat. And I want to be clear, I don't treat veterans, and there's a reason for that, is that they get either low-cost or no-cost services at the VA. And so it would be really unusual for them to come to a private pay Mm -hmm. psychologist like myself. But I certainly treat people, civilians who have PTSD. And so these types of behaviors are pretty similar. Uh, The last one, they tend to pull away from other people and become isolated. I have treated policemen though. And I have certainly seen how you're right in that policemen have very similar, you know, experiences and Mm -hmm. very similar reactions. I think probably just to a lesser degree percentage wise. Yeah, I think so. But I've heard that it's actually very, very rare for police officers to actually be involved in live fire. It is. It is rare. You know, most police officers in their career may never experience that. Right. Which overall is, is a good thing. But, you know, it when it does happen, it's tragic. And it's it's awful when a police officer has to fire a weapon 
in defense and mm. ultimately they end someone's life. That's a horrible, horrible situation. And we're going to circle back to that. So going back to the PTSD real quick, it is happening inside your head, but it is still very, very much a real physiological symptom that is happening. Oh, yeah. As far as these PTSD symptoms, they are no less real than a broken arm. Well, if you think about physiological symptoms, their heart rate's going to raise, their adrenaline's mm -hmm. going to start flowing stronger. They're going to be in that fight or flight situation. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's yeah. exactly what's going to happen. I, I just saw this statistic. This is pretty sobering. About 22 veterans a day die by suicide every wow. day on wow. average. And so that's just oh, so many. And that's way too high. It's very high. I wonder what that statistic would be comparison to police officers. And I think it's much lower because anytime a police officer is involved in any type of active shooter situation, or if they have to draw their weapon, they immediately go through mandatory counseling. Right. right. And so I'm thinking, why aren't veterans who have seen combat, why don't they go through mandatory counseling? Do they? Uh, well, the, they don't. But here's the biggest reason is that once you're discharged, the Army doesn't have any control over you. I suppose you might say your benefits are linked to that, but I don't think I don't know that that's the right thing to do either. Yeah. <clears throat> but so as far as where where do veterans get help, I think... It's not that I, I don't treat veterans, but I certainly talk to them. Right. And there is a fair amount of distrust of, I think, authority in general okay. and the VA system specifically. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't work for all of them. But the VA system, I have to say, is on the forefront of treating PTSD in various ways, certainly talk therapy, but they're really doing, they're on the cutting edge of drug therapy as mm -hmm. well. And I think we probably mentioned this in past episodes, but MDMA, which I think is popularly known as ecstasy, mm -hmm. is one thing, and they're using them all in microdoses. They're experimenting with that and finding good results, and also psilocybin, which comes from the uh, mushrooms. And okay. so again, microdosing those, and they've right. had really good results for helping uh, veterans with PTSD. Right. But the other thing I wanted to mention, you know, I only know what goes on, what's available here in Salt Lake City, but I would guess that in many other large cities, it's very similar. But if you were to do a, a search on treatment for veterans, you're going to come up with some independent practitioners of, as well. Okay. And a lot of them, for, for instance, I have a friend who's a psychologist who did his training at the Reno VA. So he is very, and so he has that specialty of treating PTSD. He just mm -hmm. didn't stay within the VA system. And so there are a fair number of therapists who have received the training that is available at the, at the VA system and then gone off on their own. And typically what they will do is those particular practitioners will be on insurance panels like TRICARE is okay. the main military uh, insurance. And so, you know, there are uh, resources outside of the VA that veterans can access as well okay. at either probably low cost. It's probably not no cost, but low, lower cost. Right. Which is good because, I mean, they genuinely, 
need it. So one of the most horrible things that a veteran, and this is true for police officers as well, one of the most horrible things that they have to go through is when they are somehow involved in the death of someone innocent. Yeah. That has got to be absolutely horrendous. It'd be awful. I was thinking about this earlier, you know, contemplating Mm -hmm. our talk tonight. And I think that often with many mental health issues, it's easy for those of us who haven't experienced it to have empathy. And we can kind of imagine being in that place. Like, I think it's easier for us to imagine someone with high anxiety or someone who's depressed. I think it's almost impossible for us to really get what it's like to be in a combat situation. Yeah. I and I think that might be one of the reasons that veterans often feel isolated or alone because mm-hmm. how would you possibly explain to someone that what it's like to as you just said to kill someone innocent or to kill a child or mm-hmm. something like I don't even know how you'd go about saying this is what it's like. You and can't. so I th- I think that just the experience the extreme nature mm-hmm. of war when they come back to war and reenter civilian life, it leads to isolation because mm-hmm. how can we possibly get it, what they've been through? But then that becomes one of the biggest problems because they isolate, they don't seek treatment. And I think that if you could get more and more veterans to seek treatment, then the rate of suicide would go down. And interestingly, the the document that I'm reading from says that the suicide rate for veterans is declining slightly over the years. Okay. It's still way too high, but Absolutely, it's not yeah. it's not going up. It's de- declining slightly. And I think yeah. that I think it was in the in the early 90s mm-hmm. where there were quite a few things that were done to make it more available, mental health treatment available and encouraged for veterans to address this problem because it's just too big of a problem. Right. And veterans need other veterans. Like you said, they get isolated. Yes. And how can they explain to us civilians? But there are other veterans who have been through combat and who have at least been through something similar who aren't going to judge you for feelings that you're going through. They're not going to judge you for the way you handled a situation. You can be very open and very vulnerable with that person because they're going to understand way better than, say, you or I could. So I don't know this for certain, but I'm going to make a a pretty good guess that I would guess that the VA in the hospital in their mental health section, they have groups like that because that is going to be one of the best ways for treatment because you're exactly right. What you need is to be around other people who've been successful at overcoming Mm -hmm. these symptoms of PTSD and being able to move on, but who get it. Um, who who you can go go to and you know this person really gets me and what I've been through. Yeah, it's a horrible thing, but it's the world we've always lived in. I mean, there has been war since the dawn of time, and it's a reality. We have incredibly brave men and women who serve to protect us against foreign invaders, and mm-hmm. that's a very wonderful, noble, brave, necessary thing. But they need the utmost compassion and they deserve the utmost respect. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about when police officers have to respond to mental health crises. It's a really good question, really good point. And so Adrian and I talked a little bit about that in our opening episode 
and suicide prevention and getting programs out there to further aid police officers who do have to respond to that mental health crisis situation. And I see this from a perspective of a first responder in the EMS side. So Mm -hmm. I was a volunteer firefighter a number of years ago. So I have a little bit of a unique perspective in that it's not safe for us as EMS to enter a scene if there's any sort of weaponry being bandied about. Because, I mean, how are we going to help if we get injured, you know, then what, what good is EMS? But those are almost the people you would rather have. You would, I mean, I wish that police officers could somehow take a psychologist with them, but that's just not reasonable. Well, there's a growing trend to change that though. And I would guess, again, I don't have the statistic, but I would guess the vast majority of mental health calls, there's no weapon involved. Okay. I think that's rare. Okay. Uh, that that's going to happen. Often what happens is you get people who are who feel out of control certainly mm-hmm. but don't have weapons. I mean it does happen but they don't have weapons. And so I think there are oh I wish I knew, could remember where I read this and I think it's in a European country where they they send out to mental health issues they send out specially trained people okay. who aren't necessarily law enforcement or at least they're not carrying weapons. Mm-hmm. And so there's a whole different approach to dealing with mental health issues. If there were a weapon involved, then I think definitely you need to have a a police officer go. But I think that there are two ways you can approach this is that you have some specially trained people who respond to those particular calls Mm -hmm. and they do it in a different way than say a normal policeman would. That, yeah. you know, who goes in with the gun. But I think additionally, the second thing is to increase the training yeah. that all police officers get around mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Because I think that that often when we see someone who's in a mental health crisis, it's scary for us. And I think one of the things that's scary is their behavior is so out of the norm. Also, we don't know how to approach them. And so there's this fear that we have that I think in the vast majority of times is really unfounded, meaning they're not really violent, but they might, you know, they might be loud. They may be waving their arms. They're erratic. They're erratic. And so, see, that's the thing that really throws us off mm-hmm. is we're not used to that. Yeah. And, and, and so... And what do you do? How do you, how what do you, you handle do? that? I think you have to be trained. You have to be specially trained yes. in how to yeah. approach it. Now, I believe that's starting to change. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's an issue of money because you have to have... You know, you have to have money for training. You have to have special officers who are really dedicated to that. But I think you could also do it by just making an effort to train regular uh, law enforcement how to handle mental health issues in a different way. I think that, again, in the vast majority of cases, someone else, uh, either caretaker, someone else has called the police. Mm-hmm. And they, I think often they say this is a mental health issue. Yeah. but. And and if we were alerted that it's a mental health issue, then you really approach it in a different way. Yeah, right. And you should. The ultimate goal is that police officers don't have to result in deadly force. Think of that police officer. I mean, they're going to carry that death with them for the rest of their life. Right. You know, right. they're never going to forget the face of that person. And that's going to lead to PTSD and it's going to lead to suicidal ideation certainly increases Mm -hmm. the likelihood that they will experience those things. 
Yeah. And that's what we need to look at is that they're at higher risk, which is, you know, the same thing we say about veterans is they're at higher risk for these things. I just saw this, you know, pulling back to the veterans. This is an interesting statistic. This is the number of annual suicides per 100,000 in population. Okay. If you've never served in the military for women, it's just 5.2. Okay. For women, if you're a veteran or active service, it jumps up to 28.7. Wow. And so that's really high. Now, for men, it's interesting because it's not that far apart, which just what that says is men typically are more successful at completing suicide. And so if you've never served in the military for men, it's 20.9. And if you're a veteran and active service, it jumps to 32.1. So there really is a very big difference if you've been a veteran or if you're a veteran or you're still in active service. Here's an interesting thing. In one year, there were more active duty military who killed themselves than there were combat deaths. Huh. Wow. Which is just horrible. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's horrible. So it's a big, this is a very big and a very real problem. And I think that one of the, you know, if, if we know someone or if you're in a relationship with someone who is experiencing these symptoms and has PTSD, not to be isolated, seek help somewhere. Mm-hmm. The VA is a good place to start. If you don't trust the VA, there are practitioners out in the community. The other thing is it's, I think this is going to be a theme maybe for our podcast, compassion. Yeah, You mentioned it tonight. We mentioned it last week. There's not enough compassion for people who have different experiences in -hmm. the world. And we all have, and that's what we need compassion and empathy. Yeah. And who can you think of is more deserving of compassion than someone who has served their country protecting from foreign invaders? Right. Right. And so there's always a consequence to that, though, which is Mm -hmm. very sad. I think we can do more to help. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And it starts by talking about this. And I'm mm-hmm. sure some people are going to listen to this podcast and maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable. And that's a good thing. Yeah, because it should be uncomfortable. It should not sit well hearing these Mm-mm. statistics and Mm-mm. more awareness needs to be brought to this issue. And so I think, you know, we should do better at taking care of those who have served us. Absolutely. Yeah, we need to care for our veterans. So one of the things that Adrian and I talked about in a previous episode was prevention Mm -hmm. and more and more they are offering, I'm trying to remember exactly what she said, but more and more they are offering suicide prevention measures as far as weapons, Mm -hmm. as far as guns, because I believe that guns are the number one means of committing suicide. For men, certainly. For men. That's true. And so if you think about, one, there are more men in the military. Mm -hmm. uh, Based on that statistic I just read, either, you know, civilian or military, men have a higher rate of suicide. And so, but if you think of veterans, they're around guns and they're going to be comfortable with guns. And probably a lot of them have guns. Mm -hmm. And so, again, if you're with someone, if you're a loved one of someone who's a veteran and has those PTSD symptoms, then you need to figure out a way to secure the weapons. Yeah. I mean, that that's the first thing to do. You know, based on the laws in the country, it's, to, it's very easy to get a weapon. Mm-hmm. I don't know that, I mean, there are certainly mental health screens, I think, that are in place, but I don't know that veterans 
would ever qualify for that. You know, I think it's more, uh, they're trying to screen out people who have severe mental health issues like schizophrenia, things like that. Right. But I think that the way we, the best way we can control it is to have a loved one take control of the weapons and lock them up. If yes. the person's feeling suicidal. Yes. And Adrian and I talked about this and I'll talk about it again. One of the best ways is to put a lock on the weapons. Is the to actual make, weapon, sure. Yeah, is to is to lock them up and then separate the ammo. Because oftentimes when someone is in that hyper-irrational state of suicidality, just the act of having to unlock the weapon gives them pause enough to make them second-guess their decision. Make right, you make it a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they have to go search for the... Uh, the bullets, you know, then that makes it, that even delays it further. I agree with you. You know, if you can delay it, because in that moment, they want it right now. And if you can cause a delay, often that moment passes. Yes. And they can come to a much calmer state and Mm -hmm. hopefully someone can intervene. So, I mean, that's the number one thing is if you yourself are experiencing PTSD or if a loved one is lock up your guns. Right. Put a lock it, on them. It reminds me of uh, the story, you know, that we read last mm-hmm. week. In the this, the couple of times that he talked about wanting to commit suicide, it wasn't something he was going to do right in his home. He was actually leaving and going and doing something. And it mm-hmm. was in that process that then I think both times he said, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, so it mm-hmm. slowed down the process enough that he was able to pull back and think, What's, what's this really about? What's going on? Mm-hmm. And we all have an innate desire to live. I mean, mm-hmm. we all have a survival instinct. But when you're going through that much pain and when there's so much trauma going on that you're trying to deal with, you really get into an irrational state and you just want it to end. You feel like you're constantly turned on. Your your fight or flight response is always on. And imagine always being in that excited, hyper-aware state. Mm-hmm. And that's really, really tough to be hyper vigilant. Yeah. And they just want it to end. And so we need to provide them with better alternatives mm-hmm. than suicide. Yes. So next week, we are going to wrap up Suicide Awareness Month. And we might just end up kind of recapping everything we've talked about or maybe take some more listener stories. Mm-hmm. But we'll be wrapping up Suicide Awareness Month, and then going into October, we've got some pretty good episodes coming up, so stay tuned for that. So thank you again to all of our service men and women, both police officers and veterans. Your service is very, very much appreciated, and we hope and pray for relief for those who are suffering. Goodbye, everyone. Have a good week. Have a question for Dr. Burton? How about a topic you'd like us to cover? Send us an email at mentalhealthpod21 at gmail.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Liz Lang. Music is by Audio Lounge. 